Well, what a good-looking bunch of people. Good morning, church at Lakeside. It is good to see you. I need to move my preaching towel. See, when you get to a certain age and you have diabetes, you need a preaching towel so I don't drip all over you folks. But some of you knew you shouldn't sit right there because I might sit on you. I spit on you too. So it is so good to be back at Lakeside. And uh, this Sunday seems like a perfect Sunday in that you talked about faithfulness at the beginning, Allison. And uh, the faithfulness of God has been on this church for many, many years. Before I came, the pastor who was here was here for 32 years. Faithful. Faithful in keeping the work of God going. Not only was he here for 32 years, he was the pastor of a three-point charge for 32 years. When I got the call from Byron Bain, Susan's husband, late husband, about coming to a pastor up here, we'd never heard of Halliburton. I put my, my, my hand over the phone and said to my wife, where's Halliburton? And she said, I think it's near Sudbury. She had no idea. I had no idea. And I said, where exactly is Halliburton? Well, it's an hour and a half away from Peterborough, where we knew where Peterborough was. We were in Port Hope. I was the youth pastor there. And I said, this seems to come out of the blue. What are you looking for? Well, we're looking for a youthful person. Well, I had that going for me. I was 34 years of age. I said, okay, to preach at a three-point charge. And I thought to myself, three-point charge, three point, what is a three-point? So I said, oh, three churches? Oh, okay, so I preach at one one week, one the second week, and he paused, and in his soft voice he said, no, you preach at one at 8.30, one at a quarter to 10, and one at 11 o'clock. And you have to get between each other, fly low, so that you could get here. It was certainly a wonderful three years that God allowed my wife Diane and our three children to do that. But eventually Lakeside grew to the point that they needed a full-time pastor. And the Lord decided that I guess I would be that person. We were meeting in what is the library now. This building was not here. And so we were meeting over there. No air conditioning. How many of you remember those days? In the summer, it was hot, wasn't it? It was brutally hot. And one of the first Sundays I came in the summer to preach, not even to preach for a call, it was 32, 33 degrees with heavy humidity. So I took a risk and took off my suit jacket. I wore a suit jacket at one time. And my tie and put it down. I said to the men, if you'd like to put one or two did the same. Well, I was asked to preach three weeks in a row to kind of test the waters. The next week, I came, and it was just as hot. So before the service started, I took off my coat. Well, eight or nine or ten men did. The third week, I came without a jacket. No suit jacket. People smiled and sweated profusely, but not as much as they would have. We had a wonderful time in that old sanctuary. And uh, one of the my fondest memories is when I was preaching on the faithfulness of God. That God shows up in times when we least expect him. How many say amen to that? Amen. He often does that. 
And the doors were wide open. It was summertime. Again, the windows were open. People were fanning themselves with the bulletin. Remember that thing, the bulletin that we used to have? And just as I got to that point, thing, God shows up in unexpected ways, our dog, we had a golden retriever who we couldn't get in in time. We lived where the offices are now in the parsonage. He heard our voices, heard my voice, I guess. And just as I said it, he was wandering around and he wandered in the front door and right up to, I don't know if anybody remembers that. And when he did that, Steve was shaking his head. I said, like when he sends the dog to be your illustration in the morning. Well, lots of laughter, lots. But one person came out and said, be serious. Tell me, Brian, did you have someone holding the dog at the back? I said, no, no, I didn't. But wonderful memories. Diane and I were blessed to be the pastor here for 22 years. We came in 1989 and left in 2012, just the beginning of 2012. And we saw lots of things that God did that we could only say it was the hand of God. This building you're living in, you're living in, you're worshiping in now, almost wasn't our building to be able to build on. We were going to build long and straight, like a bowling alley. That's what we were talking about, the old sanctuary. Because we couldn't get this person to sell who owned this property. And one day, a godly man who's now with the Lord, Ken Sanderson, stood up and he said, I don't think we should build right here what we're talking. We should build next door and do it wide like this rather than long. And I forget who was chairing, but whoever the chair was said, why do, why do you think that we could get that land? He said, because I was talking to the owner and he was just diagnosed with cancer and he needs to move to the city and he's now willing to sell. The hand of God, the faithfulness of God, at just the right time, God opened the door. And I could tell you lots of stories about that, but this isn't an anniversary Sunday, so I'm not going to do that. But I'm blessed to be here. My wife would have liked to have been here, but she got a cold and didn't think you wanted her to cough all over you. So uh, today it's just me. God's blessing on this church uh, also was in the way he um, took the church from needing an evangelist, which is one of my gifts, needing a Bible teacher who um, preached primarily the gospel, which is me, and then when the time came that he needed someone who was more of a deeper Bible teacher, he knew in advance before I knew. And so when the time came that God was trying to get my attention to kind of, it's time, Brian, to move on, and I was having a hard time with that, I have to admit that, the deacons, or the elders now, they were called deacons at one time, were very gracious and long-suffering in trying to get my attention towards that because they thought before me. But finally, we together could see that. And though it was not easy times for any of us, God was gracious and merciful. And he brought you a wonderful Bible teacher in Pastor Paul. A deep, um, good, sense, uh, good sense of humor in that kind of subtle way. A man who loves the Lord, who has been preaching the word of God. And the church has continued to grow. And we had no idea, Diane and I, where we were going to go. We just wanted to be within three hours, if we could, of Halliburton, because we had our middle Down syndrome daughter, who's now in heaven, lived here, and we didn't want to be too far away. So that was our prayer. 
And we got a call from West Guilford with their eight people that were attending, saying, would you come and preach for the summer every second week? And we'll see what happens. And we said yes. And God was gracious and allowed us to spend our last 11 years of ministry at West Guilford, just up the road. If you don't know where it is, it's just up the road from here. And since then, we've been doing cooperative ministry together, Lakeside and West Guilford, in a beautiful way, in a wonderful way. Pastor Paul and I have become good friends. We meet every couple of months for breakfast and talk about things, share, pray for each other. God is good. Amen? Amen. God is faithful. He is a faithful God. This morning, I'd like to walk with you through a, a snapshot of a moment in the life of an ordinary man, a man who, when the time was right, he reached out, he shouted out to Jesus because he believed that Jesus could heal him. You probably know the story. It's from Mark's Gospel, and it's the story of Bartimaeus, who when he heard that Jesus was coming, that he was on the path that he was sitting in, he was blind, when he heard that, he thought Jesus with all his heart, with his loud voice, and he came against opposition because he wanted Jesus to see him and heal him. He sought him with all his heart. I want us to look at that passage. So if you turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, we're going to look at that together, and then I'm going to share from the Word of God on it. Let's pray first. Father God, we thank you for the story of Bartimaeus. We only see him in this one little snapshot of his life, but it was life-changing for him. And we pray that you may put in our hearts a desire to continue to be surprised by you, to continue to seek after you with all our hearts, to not let circumstances or opposition that come against us, which it does at times, may we see from your word that you are faithful and that you will hear our cry if we seek after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight, and he followed Jesus along the road. This is one of my favorite stories of Jesus healing someone. 
in the New Testament, in the Gospels. I've preached this probably as much as any uh, one passage from any of the Gospels. I look back and I preached this in 1995 here. So if some of it sounds familiar, maybe you heard a little bit of it, but probably someone has preached it since. But when I went over it to get it ready for this week, it's, it's wonderful the way the Word of God is so fresh that there were new insights that God brought to my heart and my mind, even though I've preached it five, six, seven times in different places. God is so good. You can read his word from the time you're old enough to read to the time he takes you from here and keep learning from it. Have you found that to be true? What other book is like that? What other book is composed of 66 different books? Many dozens of authors. And all has a, a, a ribbon, the same ribbon, that God is the God of love. And that God loves you, and you, and you, and you, and me. And that Jesus is building his kingdom. And it's way bigger than Lakeside Church, or West Guilford Church, or any single church. The kingdom are the people of God and what he is doing in the world. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, but lots of times, other times. I love hearing stories when God shows up outside of church, outside of Sunday morning. And he does that so often for so many people. Well, Jesus, the Son of God, one with the Father, showed up in Bartimaeus' life. And I want us to look at at this snapshot of his response, how he responded to Jesus like one who was seeking after truth and after God and after healing, as one who wanted a change in their life. Have you ever wanted a change in your life? Do you ever want something to be different? Well, his circumstances changed. Sometimes God doesn't change. In this case, he did. And I want us to look at four characteristics that show that he was a God-seeker, one who was blessed by being in the very presence of Jesus. The first characteristic that Bartimaeus displayed was he put meeting with Jesus at the top of his priority list. He put him meeting with him at the top. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside, begging, doing his job. But then he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. And he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want you to think about that. He's blind, Bartimaeus. He sits at the side of the road on the way out of town every day. It was probably the best place where he could, or one of the best where he could beg. And he probably had some form of what we would call a tin can, or, and he said, blind Coins for a blind man, coins for a blind man. Couldn't see, but he could hear. Maybe his hearing was a little better than some of us who are getting older. You know, if I meet you in the hall, speak up. (laughs) But he heard that Jesus was coming. The Son of God, Jesus, the Nazarene, was coming. He heard that. Jesus of Nazareth. 
And he must have heard something about Jesus prior to that because he knew that this Jesus was special. Maybe he heard of how Jesus healed others before him. We don't know. But immediately he shouted. He didn't just say, hey, Jesus, Jesus. It says he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That was his priority, to get Jesus' attention, to seek after Jesus. Now, put yourself in a blind man's place. They usually had no real place to stay. They stayed wherever they could find a place to stay at night. They were blind. Their welfare checks were zero. (laughs) No welfare back then. If he didn't get money by begging, he would starve to death. He would die. He hears Jesus is coming with the large crowd. Wouldn't it be normal, the normal thing for you or I, to say, hey, big payday coming, big payday. I'm going to hit the can more and say, money for the blind, money for the blind. Maybe I'll get five or six coins this time instead of one or two. Maybe I'll have enough that I can sleep indoors tonight. We don't know that for sure, but we know he is blind. We know he is a beggar. We know that's what he probably did every day. Didn't have Saturday and Sunday and a long weekend off. But his priority wasn't to make an extra coin or two. His priority was to meet Jesus, to have Jesus hear his voice. He couldn't see Jesus, but he could shout. And it makes it very clear that he shouted out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. You know, that's what we need to do. Whenever we have a need, whenever we feel blasé, whenever we don't feel his presence, we need to shout out, we need to seek after him. Not just in a small way, but with all our heart. We need to do that. Bartimaeus shouted out to Jesus even though he himself could have used the extra coins. Is seeking after Jesus your number one priority? Is it mine? Many days it isn't. I'm retired from official ministry. Someone joked that it means you still minister, but you don't get paid. Well, that's true in some ways. But what else would I rather do? I get a phone call from someone that someone I've known for 30 years in this area is in the hospital and they're not doing well. I live five minutes from the hospital. As a Christian, who wouldn't go? You get a phone call. I mean, you have to do what God calls you to do. Are we doing what God is calling us to do? Pastor Paul phoned and asked if I would preach one Sunday he was away. Without hesitation, I said, tell me when. There were three Sundays either way, so this was the one that was good for me because I'm preaching somewhere else at one of the other Sundays. And I said, yeah, and I felt peace about it. And then I thought and thought, you know, I haven't preached on a Sunday morning at Lakeside since I'd left. Wow, preached on Fridays, a couple of good Fridays. Been here last summer a couple of times on a Sunday, blessed. We sat at the back, we're blessed. The music was wonderful, the preaching was good. It wasn't a long weekend Sunday, so there were a few more regulars. How many are visitors today? Put up your hand. How many are visitors? There's quite a few of you. I always love seeing you guys come. When I was here, it was great to have the summer people come back. It was great. 
But the truth is that some of the regulars take time to go and do their own thing, visit family, or they go, some of them go camping. You see, you told me a bunch of the young families. So. In this case, Barnabas, Barnabas, sorry, he wanted to meet Jesus. He wanted to seek his presence. And I believe we need to desire to seek his presence every day. Every day. I don't want to be legalistic and say 15 minutes in the morning or 20 minutes at night. But every day we need to seek his presence. We need to seek it through prayer and praise and studying his word and making time for him to break into our busy routines. Do you do that? Do you make time for him to break into your busy? My day is really busy today. I got all these things I got to do. What if Jesus wanted you to do something different? Would we have ears to hear what he may be saying or eyes to see the opportunity he might be giving us? We need to say, Lord, help me to see and hear and find those opportunities. Help me not to be so busy that I'm too busy for you to use. Ooh, that sounds severe, but that can happen. Help me to not be so tired that I'm too tired to let you give me energy to go the extra mile. Because sometimes he wants us to do that. Help me to not enjoy my pastime so much that I allow the opportunity to pass me by to bless someone. Bartimaeus wanted a blessing. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted a healing. And he put it a priority to shout out to him. The second characteristic that Bartimaeus displayed as a God-seeker was that he recognized his own helplessness and need for God's mercy. He needed his mercy. He didn't just need, can I have a word? (laughs) Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David shows that he had heard about Jesus. He had heard that he had called himself the son of man, the son of David. He knew that the Messiah was coming from David's line. And he believed. This man has apparently healed others. I believe he can heal me too. Son of David. Can I have a minute? Son of David, have mercy on me. I am totally at your mercy. I need your mercy. Have mercy on me. He believes that Jesus had the power to have mercy on him. We have no way of knowing if Bartimaeus was blind from birth, disease, or an accident. Doesn't really matter. He knew he had a need, and he wouldn't let his pride get in his way from seeking Jesus' attention. That sometimes happens to me. Maybe it sometimes happens to you as well. Taking this up here is a little, I have to swallow my pride. You know, that or sweat all over you guys. When I first started doing that about five years ago, when I found out I had diabetes, I went to my doctor and asked him, how come I'm beginning to sweat so much? He said, well, sometimes when you're under stress, even if it's good stress, because I love preaching the word of God, it causes the sweat glands to use more. And I said, is there anything I could take for it? trying to get away. He said, well, you could take a towel up. (laughs) My doctor! 
doesn't come to this church. I don't know if he goes to church anywhere. And after a little while, it took a while, I started taking one up. And you know what? No one booed me for that. Please don't boo. <laughs> I hope no one judged me for it. But it was pride. I had to swallow my pride. I don't know how much pride Bartimaeus had, but most blind beggars, they would do anything to get uh, a quarter. Can you hear me, though? Okay, there you go. Good one. Long time I've been preaching the gospel. As a youth pastor and then up here for 32 years, retired a year. And yet, many times I've run into people and I've said, so, how are you doing, really? And I knew they weren't doing too well. Sometimes you could see it on their face. Sometimes they'd lost a lot of weight and hadn't been trying. Boy, I've been trying and I'm having a hard time. And more times than not, they say what? What do you say? I'm fine. I'm fine. That's what we say. If you're just passing by, I get it. If you're just greeting someone at the post office. But when someone looks in you in the eye and asks you, how are you doing? And you say, I'm fine. And you're not fine. Sometimes you miss an opportunity for someone to pray for you, to come alongside you, to be with you in whatever way God wants them to. I was at the Independent about six weeks ago, going early in the morning to do some shopping, and as I was getting the bags out of the back of the car, I heard, Pastor Brian, Pastor Brian! And a tall man, who I vaguely recognized, came running towards me, not walking, but running. Man is maybe 50s or so. And I saw him, and I thought, I know him, what's his name? And as he got closer, God's mercy was upon me, and I remembered his name. Often I don't. And I said his name, which I'm not going to say right now. And he said, hi, I just wanted to ask you, have you heard that my spouse, common-law spouse, is in the hospital? And I said, no, what happened? And told me, had had an accident, and was badly injured, and broken some bones, and I said, no, I I, I didn't know. Thanks for telling me. I'll pray for her and for you. And he said, thank you, thank you. And he went. thought he was going shopping. And uh, then I got my stuff and I started. And I prayed in the car. But then I couldn't stop thinking about this person. Got my groceries. I'm two minutes away from the hospital. So, hey, they will last a few minutes. Went to the hospital asked, they had just taken the bed, you know, so you could actually go in and visit people. For a long time you couldn't. You didn't have to go and wait 15 minutes as they checked you and everything. So I was in, within five minutes, 
which hasn't happened for three years, <laughs> and saw the person, and their face almost went white. Because this is someone who used to attend this church, used to teach Sunday school to my children, and yet hasn't been attending here for a number of years. I think 10 years, she said. We had some talking, discussion, 15 minutes. I prayed with her at the end. She said, please come again. And I did. I came again. I phoned up this man, her common-law husband, and asked how he was doing. He said, not very good. I said, would you like to have a coffee together? He said, I'd love that. Went and had a coffee with him, prayed with him. She's home now, and I went and had another visit with the two of them. Unexpected, I was just driving by where they live, and, had a, and they said, you know, when I get a, around and I can get around again, we got we got to go back to church. And I said, that'd be a great thing. You know, just go to a church that's preaching the gospel. Lakeside's a good one. That's where you came from. But there's others too. We have to say, Lord, I, I will make time for things that are unexpected in my life. Even though I'm not being paid as a pastor anymore. I'm a son of the living God. Are you a son of the living God? Are you a daughter of the living Then all of us have to have ears to hear. The third characteristic that Bartimaeus displayed that he showed that he was a God seeker was he was willing to persevere despite criticism and trials. This is a big one. And I love what it says here. It says that he, he shouted out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then it says, Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. So he said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to just... No, no, what does, it, what does it say? But he shouted all the more. Picture it. He's blind. And they're telling him, be quiet. Be quiet. He can't see them. All he can hear is many voices saying, be quiet, be quiet. Yeah, you want one right in the smacker? And yet, what did he do? He shouted all the more. He shouted all the more. He would not let this opportunity go by. He had a desire to see Jesus, to meet Jesus, and he wouldn't give in to peer pressure. He wouldn't give in to negative thinking. He wouldn't give in to people saying negative things. He was going to see Jesus. When I came to Christ at 22 years of age, out of a nominal Catholic background, came to Christ excited about the Lord. Charismatic Catholic organization reached out to me and kind of was my first church family. We met in a gym Sunday night. There were 200 young people meeting in a large circle praising the Lord like we did today. They were all under 30. I was just a new Christian. I didn't know what to say. Hands were raised, people... My first time there, there was a big guy, maybe 22 years of age, and big beard. And right after we finished the praise time, he came beeline over towards me. And I, I think I stepped back a couple of, I thought, what's going on here? And he put his arms out and he said, give me a hug. <laughs> maybe that's where I became a hugger. And he gave me this great big hug. Well, I was excited about having met Jesus. Came home, told my dad, told my brothers, 
brothers weren't interested. They were living their own lives around that same age. My dad was very interested, very concerned. He was sure that I had gotten involved in a cult. <laughs> Absolutely sure. Tried to talk me out of it, and he said, I told him, no, it's a, it's a Catholic organization. He said, no Catholic organization raises their hands and says, praise the Lord out loud. He was sure it was nothing to do with God or Jesus. It was a cult. Eventually, he found out it wasn't a cult. Eventually, he found out that we preach that you need to put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. He wanted nothing to do that. See, my dad went to church every Sunday when he was young. Most Catholics did back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. But my mother died at 39 years of age of a cerebral hemorrhage. And when she died, they weren't getting along very well. They were fighting a lot. She was an alcoholic. And when she died suddenly like that, he became bitter, bitter towards God. Called himself an atheist. I don't believe in God. What kind of loving God would do this? And when I tried to console him or witness to him gently, he'd say, Brian, I'm not interested. Stop praying for me. You keep saying, okay, Dad, I'll keep praying for you. Stop. It's not going to work. Stop praying. I'm never going to put my trust in this Jesus. And the way he said it broke my heart. Some of you might have been here as I prayed for my dad when he got cancer. And he got very sick. And he went into a, a, a place where they'd look after people who were very sick. And they gave him three weeks to live. He ended up living three months there. But in his first week of being there, when nobody was around, in the middle of the night, he cried out to Jesus. And he said, if you're there, I'm tired of fighting you. I really need you. And Jesus showed up. Jesus healed his disbelief, and he, he knew that Jesus was real. I was living here in Halliburton. I was coming back to Ottawa the next weekend. I asked people to pray for me. I asked the church. I said, if my dad ever puts his trust in the Lord, I'm going to get up on a Sunday morning and tell you. I had lots of people, lots of you maybe. When I got to Ottawa that weekend, he said, oh, by the way, about three in the morning, four or five days ago, I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I put my trust in him. I almost fainted. <laughs> I kind of, I said, Dad, that's so great. That's really, yeah, yeah, it's been pretty good. Within a couple of weeks, he lost his voice. He couldn't talk anymore. And the last few times I saw him, when I walked into the room, put his hands together, and he wanted me to pray with him right away, right at the beginning. There was a glow in his face. My brother thought it was the drugs. I didn't know drugs caused a glow on your face. When I came back from visiting him, the Sunday I came back and walked up those stairs there, I came up and I said, I have good news to tell you. And I don't know who, church was pretty full, said, you're dead. And I said, my dad. And if you were here, you saw this pastor cry big tears saying, my dad accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Jesus still changes lives. He still heals disbelief. Some of you may be here and you may wonder. You may have been brought up 
hearing the gospel. You may have come recently and are exploring and seeking after and wondering and and looking at Jesus and then looking at Buddha and looking over here and looking there and over. It's Jesus that heals. It's Jesus that saves. And Bartimaeus knew that. And even though people were telling him to be quiet, he would not be quiet. Don't let the culture, don't let other people, don't let especially this woke culture that we live in cause you to waver in your belief that God is good, that God is a God of love, and that we call him Father, and we call Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God. Don't let peer pressure cause you to want to change things. I got an email yesterday from someone who I believe is a Christian. They put their name and they put she, her next to it. Haven't seen this person in a number of years. They wanted me to do something for their parents. Young adult. And I thought, she, her. (laughs) It It sounds humorous to me, but I know that many people take it serious and I don't want to run down anyone. But we need to preach the word of God and stand for the word of God and not let the peer pressure of our culture change that. Keep seeking God's face. But we need to seek his face through who? Jesus, right? God, seek Jesus. He's the one we have to seek after. Finally, Bartimaeus showed himself to be a God seeker by responding immediately and unconditionally to Jesus when he called. My favorite part of the story. It says, so they, Jesus stopped and he said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Notice how they changed very quickly. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? No small talk there. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. I love this. Immediately, unconditionally. He didn't hesitate to get up and to go towards Jesus. They probably helped him up maybe and pointed him in the direction. But the part I want you to not miss, and I've pondered this and been amazed by it many times, What did it say he did? (laughs) He threw his cloak away and he came to Jesus. Now you got to put yourself in his shoes. Bartimaeus probably lived on the streets. He probably had a heavy cloak. He used it as a pillow sometimes when it was warm. He used it as a blanket when it was really cold. He needed that cloak. It's quite likely he didn't own anything else but that cloak. Quite likely it wasn't in the best condition, but it was his. And he was blind. And he probably seldom had it away from him. He probably sat on it when he, because he didn't want anyone stealing it. When he begged, the cloak was there. And yet it says he got up and he threw the cloak aside as he jumped to his feet. So why did he do that? 
he could probably not find it with a large crowd. People could stomp on it. Somebody could take it. It could be moved over to the corner. He'd never find it. Except if he knew in his heart he could go to it and find it easily because after seeing Jesus, he could see. He believed Jesus was going to heal him. That's why he was shouting. That's why he was going against the crowd because he believed he could be healed. And Jesus just wanted him to say it. What do you want from me? I want to be healed. I want to see. And Jesus did it. And he could see. And I don't know if he went back and got that cloak or not. I have no idea. But he could. He could see it. Or if he went and got a job, his very first job, I don't know. What we do know is that he followed Jesus. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. How long did he follow Jesus along the road? We don't know. Was he one of the numbers that were there when he was crucified? We don't know. But I think he followed Jesus the rest of his life. If you were blind and Jesus said, be healed and you could see, would you ever forget that moment? <laughs> would you ever forget that moment? Would you ever forget the love that you saw in his eyes? When you thanked him, I hope, sure hoped he thanked him. Didn't say he did, but he followed him. He followed him. How could you not follow him? When Jesus took my disbelief away as a 22-year-old and put faith in my heart, I didn't know anything about the Bible. The person who led me in the sinner's prayer to accept Jesus gave me a Bible the next day. I'd never, ever read it. I said, where do I start? She'd been a Christian two years. She said, well, you might want to start in the New Testament, thinking I knew what that was, but I had no idea what the New Testament was. So I started at the beginning. Genesis is a great book. When I got to Leviticus, I said, where's Jesus? <laughs> He's not in this book. I wanted to learn about Jesus. I gave up for a few months till someone told me, well, you've got to start with the Gospels. And I swallowed my pride and I said, the what? What's a Gospel? Oh, it's the New Testament. There's that word again. New Testament. Where is it? Oh, it, look at the index. What's an index? Oh, that, that's what that is, all those things. You couldn't have been that naive. I'd never opened a Bible in my life, friends. There are a lot of people who have never opened a Bible in their life. Don't talk Jesus to them in Jesus' talk. Make sure you make it clear. He made it clear. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus said, you will be healed. Made it very clear. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful uh, example of a person who sought after Jesus and then kept following him after Jesus answered his prayer. Has Jesus answered some big prayers for you? I believe in this congregation there would be a lot who would say, he sure did, he did this, this, this. So you're really red hot for Jesus because of that. Some of you would say, yeah, it's never faded. And some would say, no, nah, I don't know. You know, we all have our ups and down times. I need to say to this congregation, I thank God for you, those who prayed for Diane and I and our family, Leanne and Lindsay, and our precious Laura, who we called Buddy, 
when she got cancer and they told us that she had three months to live and she lived three weeks. And during that time, we got so many emails and phone calls and texts and many of them were from the family of God at Lakeside, many from West Guilford where I was pastoring, many from the community. We had people from this community come to our door and bring us food. Some brought us money, so traveling back and forth to Kingston for a while. We show our sincerity in following Jesus by our actions. Make sure your actions and my actions are showing that we really love Jesus. We don't want to just tell them the gospel in words. We want to show them by our actions. This congregation does a great job. I could tell you lots of other stories where they did similar things. Still do. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You don't need to be a big church to do that. West Guilford is about 70 or 80 people now. That's where we worship. Pastor Sean and Amy are the pastors there. And they've opened up a food bank recently right there in the, in the foyer. People can bring food in, a non-perishable, and take food out. And every week there's new food that's there and some food that goes. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I, sure, they could go to the four seas, but we wanted to do pra- something practical. A lot of widows in that church. Lots are living on very little. I hope some of them are getting some of those good soups that are there and that sort of thing. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what Bartimaeus did. Let's do that ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful story about Bartimaeus. We thank you that... He had a mustard seed of faith in what he had heard about this Jesus. And he cried out and wanted to see him, wanted to not physically see him, but be in his presence and talk to him. And when Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do? He said, I want to see. His greatest need was to see physically. But then once he could see, he went and followed Jesus down the road. Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, we see and we believe. Help us to continue to walk down the road no matter what our circumstances. And if there's anyone here today who's listening on uh, the media-wise or right here in this sanctuary that has not reached out and cried out to Jesus about their greatest need, which is knowing him as Lord and Savior, having their sins forgiven once and for all, having the assurance of eternal life, May they cry out, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to believe. I have a mustard seed of faith. Is that enough? And your word says, it is enough. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.